many of you know David? From the Bible. Yeah. He's a man after God's own heart. And he clearly dealt with the weight of depression. Themes like this are weaved all throughout the Psalms and Scripture. Like in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Now, many of you who know me well know that my struggle with anxiety and depression has been a theme weaved through my life for as long as I can remember. For most of this time, I struggled privately. Ashamed to ask for help, feeling my faith should be enough to prevent my fears and overwhelming sadness. Through God's provision of loving friends, his church body, family, and experts, I came to several realizations of the key pillars of emotional health and am now in a much better place. So we can praise the Lord for that. This process took decades. I imagine many of you are somewhere in this process. Several weeks ago, as we were, as a staff, considering options for a guest speaker to give Pastor Dave uh, some well-deserved rest, a friend suggested a man by the name of John Opaluski. I watched one of his sermons, and my soul leapt for joy. This was the message I needed to hear 15 years ago. This message could have saved me countless days of drudgery and nights of despair. I proceeded to buy one of his books. I read it voraciously, praising the Lord that it was only 87 pages. And I can say wholeheartedly that his conclusions are not only rooted in biblical truth, but based on firsthand experience. Now, you may have guessed it, but I have the privilege of introducing our guest speaker for today, Mr. John Opaluski. As he comes to the stage, let's pray for the rest of today's service. Lord God, I pray for your servant John as he shares some much-needed wisdom on the subject of emotional health. I pray for us as a church body to be receptive to hearing from your word, that we would honor you as effective image bearers and servants to your kingdom. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's nice to be with you this morning. It's such a privilege, such an honor to uh, be with you here at Calvary Church today. Um, I want to say thank you. I know Pastor Dave isn't here uh, this morning, but I want to say thank you to him for reaching out to me and inviting me to be here. We count it a, a high honor to be with you this morning, worshiping with you this morning. I'd like to introduce my wife to you. Laura, would you stand? She's over here on the far, to my far right. This is my wife, Laura. Laura and I have been married for 39 years. Uh, we have four boys, three daughters-in-law, and uh, the three most beautiful granddaughters God's ever created. Um, and uh, so we're just uh, so glad to be here. Uh, when we travel and speak, we always bring resources with us because we believe it's very important what we put in to our heart, what we put into our mind. And so we, uh, we have written, I've written four books I'm not going to tell you about all four this morning because I want to spare uh, most of my time to teach, but I want to tell you about two real quick, uh, two books that I think are real special. I think they're all special, but these I think will really be uh, germane to our conversation today. Um, the first one, and this is the one that I think, it's Rich, right? 
was over here. Uh, Rich was uh, mentioning, it's called Unshakable You, Five Choices of Emotionally Healthy People. And I wrote this, I wrote this book in 2015 because as we traveled all over the country and even into Europe in that year, wherever we went, uh, didn't matter the size of the congregation, it didn't matter what we were doing, there were hundreds and hundreds of people who would, would indicate to us that they were struggling with anxiety and depression. And I wanted to write a book that would help, uh, would help people who were not only struggling with it, but people who wanted to be preventive. And uh, so this book, as Rich mentioned, is very short. I write, I write books so that men will read them. <laughs> Amen, right? And, uh, and so if you or somebody you care about and love is struggling with anxiety or depression, this book will help uh, you or help them figure out a way through that uh, and get to the other side. And then our latest book is called Unshakable Leader. We like the word unshakable. And um, how many in the room are parents? Can I see your hands this morning? Yeah, most of us here are parents. How many of you uh, lead a team at work or own your own company? Can I see your hand? Right. And, and how many of you are, lead a ministry uh, here at Calvary Church? And there's quite a few hands going up there too. This book was written for, specifically for leaders. And it's called Unshakable Leader, The Simple Yet Amazing Power of Alignment. The most impactful thing you can do as a leader is to bring a healthier, less anxious, more aligned version of yourself to your home, to your business, or even to the church ministry that you lead. So that book is out there as well. And it is even shorter, Rich, than Unshakable You. So this morning we are going to uh, talk for a few minutes on the subject of becoming your own best friend. Becoming your own best friend. And you might wonder, why are we talking about this in church? Why would we talk about something like that on a Sunday morning? Well, we live in a time where depression, anxiety, and suicide are on a rapid rise worldwide, especially here in the United States. Last year, the CDC came out with a stunning report. Uh, in July 2020, one in four young adults in America, ages 18 through 24, contemplated suicide due to the pandemic. That's a stunning number. That's a 300% increase over July of 2019. In August of 2020, the JAMA network reported this, that 28% of Americans are suffering with symptoms of depression during the coronavirus pandemic. 28%, that's up from 9% a year earlier, in August of 2019. Again, a 300% increase. And I've got news for you this morning, and maybe this isn't new news to, to you. People who love Jesus aren't immune from these twin evils. Anxiety, depression, and actually it's, it's not just twins, it's triplets and suicide. 
So what if I told you this morning that what I'm about to share will bring to you a proven solution to the twin epidemics of depression and suicidal ideation in our country? Would you be interested in that this morning? Uh, That one simple concept, becoming your own best friend, would set you up, it would change everything in your life for the better. Would you be interested in that? Some of you, some of you are not sure yet. So becoming our own best friend is critical not just for our own personal health, it's also critical because our capacity to love others is directly related to the degree we love ourselves. That's our key thought for the morning. Our capacity to love others is directly related to the degree we love ourselves. Now, you might be thinking, John, that sounds selfish. Let me assure you, it is quite biblical. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 39, we read one of the most important passages of Scripture in all of the New Testament. Uh, A Pharisee in Matthew 22 asked Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And without hesitation, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you have ever read that passage of scripture before or heard it preached on? Yeah, most of us in the room. I want to call your attention this morning to, and I think I got to come over here. Can that, oh, look at that beautiful little pointer to this word right here, A-S. It's the second to the last word in this passage, the word as. It's a Greek connector word, omega sigma, and it means in the same manner as. So Jesus is saying, I want you to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and I want you to love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. Now, why would Jesus tell us that? Why would God command us to love ourselves too? Because he knows that our capacity to love others is directly related to the degree we love ourselves, to the degree we become our own best friend. So the question this morning is, how do we, how do we love ourselves? How do we do that without becoming self-centered narcissists? It's possible. And I'm going to share four things with you this morning that will help you actually accomplish that. Here's the first one, and that is healthy self-talk. Healthy self-talk. In other words, how I talked about to myself about myself. Uh, I used to work, I pastored for 16 years and then was in the uh, corporate arena for 20 in IT. And one morning I was driving from where we live over to Rochester Hills and it was about, in the morning it was about a 45 minute commute and I got to work 6.30 in the morning, popped open the trunk of my Oldsmobile Alaro only to find that I had left my PC at home. Now, um, there was nobody around, no cars in the parking lot, and I remember being frustrated and shouting out loud, 
I'm so stupid. Now, anybody here ever talk to themselves like that? And I was, I was a serial bad self-talker. But I don't know why, and I don't know why, but that morning, apparently God had had enough. Have you ever, ever had an encounter with the Lord where you knew he was talking to you and it was kind of like you couldn't move? Anybody have that experience? Well, that was in the parking lot of, my, of the company that I worked for. I felt in my heart, I didn't hear the audible voice of the Holy Spirit, but I felt in my heart the Holy Spirit say, John, I'm not going to let you get away with that anymore. You're doing damage to yourself when you talk to yourself that way. You know, nobody talks to you about you more than you do. So be kind with the words you say about yourself. Verbal slams that I direct at myself are every bit as sinful as a verbal slam that I would direct against you. They're every bit as damaging. Author Josh Linkner says this, that if we talk to our friends the same way we talk to ourselves, we'd quickly end up with a long list of enemies. So the first way we become our own best friend is to be kind in how we talk to ourselves and give ourselves some grace. So what does that mean? No more calling yourself a loser. No more calling yourself stupid or dumb or idiot. It's not cute, it's not funny, it is damaging, and it, and it gets in the way of you becoming your own best friend. It gets in the way of you loving yourself like Jesus has commanded us to do. Secondly, loving ourselves means we understand the difference between self-care and self-centeredness. There's a big difference between the two. How many of you realize that Jesus in Matthew chapter 22 was not advocating selfishness? Yeah, he, he wasn't. The Apostle Paul really helps us understand this uh, even better. In Acts chapter 20, Paul was saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, the Ephesian leaders. He said he would never see them again. This is the last time they were going to see Paul, one of their very best friends, and in that emotional moment, Paul urges them in verse 28 of Acts chapter 20, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Would you read that with me? Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The phrase keep watch comes from a single Greek word, and it means to attend to, to pay attention to, to devote thought and effort to. So what's Paul telling these leaders? He says, I want you to attend to yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I want you to pay attention to yourselves and all the flock. I want you to devote thought and effort to yourselves and all the flock. Paul gives us even more clarity in, in Philippians chapter 2. Look at this verse of scripture. He says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
So becoming your own best friend means caring about others while at the same time caring for yourself. It's not an either-or proposition. It is both and. Loving yourself thirdly means you simply embrace God's opinion of you. How many of in the, in the room this morning believe God's opinion is the opinion that really matters? His opinion matters more than even your own in terms of how you view yourself. Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms, really gives us a beautiful window into God's opinion of us. O Lord, you have searched me. This is verse one. You have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. This verse, this passage teaches us something about God's ability to see us. It says that he sees past our exterior and into our private thoughts, into our attitudes, and into our motives. God knows everything about us, the good, the bad, the not so good, and he loves us despite all of that. David continues in verses 13 and 14, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, listen to this, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. There are some of you in the room this morning that need to write that on a sticky note and stick it on your refrigerator or on your mirror, whatever one you visit the most. And remind yourself that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. David goes on, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And then he finishes it off with this thought, how precious concerning me, this is verses 17 and 18, are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Now, I want us to think about that passage of Scripture for just a minute. How many grains of sand are there on Great Lakes beaches? They're uncountable, right? We can't count them. Psalm 139 reveals that the same God who created those beautiful lakes and beautiful beaches thinks about us more times than we can count. So becoming your own best friend simply means you you agree with God. You embrace his opinion of you. And his opinion of you is that you are worth loving without strings attached. You're the apple of his eye and you're never outside of his thoughts. Some of you walked in here this morning not feeling good about how God feels about you. I'm here to tell you he is madly crazy in love with you. We, we read a beautiful scripture in Ephesians this morning about being adopted. How many of you were paying attention? It says that we were adopted into his family according to his pleasure. God thinks you're pretty awesome. Loving yourself, fourthly, means getting in touch with your soul, your mind, and your emotions. In Proverbs 19, 8, we read these words, he who gets wisdom loves his own soul. 
The need for this understanding came home to me 28 years ago in 1992. At that time, I had been a Christian for 18 years and a pastor for 12. And I understood the part of the great commandment that had to do with loving God. I got that. I gave my life to Jesus at age 16, and it was a dramatic conversion. And I, I, I had this experience where I felt like God was power washing me on the inside. And for the first time in my life, I felt clean. And, and it was just this radical move and shift away from my former way of life. <clears throat> and I've loved Jesus ever since. I knew about that part of the great commandment. I was aware of the part about loving people. I found that God was a little easier to love than people, but I knew I was supposed to love people. The part about loving myself was never on my radar. And I discovered something, that what you don't know can really hurt you. So in November of 1992, and I'm gonna irrigate here so I can keep going, my world imploded. I was 34 years old at the time, and this crisis that I'm about to describe to you was manifested by several things. First of all, no sleep for an extended period of time. I'd go to bed at 10.30 at night, lay awake, anxiety-ridden until one in the morning, fall asleep for an hour, wake up at two in the morning, and be up for the rest of the night. And that disturbed sleep pattern lasted for about four months. How many of you realize when you're only getting one hour of sleep a night that that messes you up? The crisis included no appetite. For the first time in my life, I didn't want to eat. Now, you, that might not be a big deal for some of you, but you have to understand something about me. I'm Polish-Italian. <laughs> and I grew up in a home where we took more pictures of food than we did people at holidays. I mean, food was a big deal in my house growing up. And for the first time, I didn't want to eat. I dropped 30 pounds in three months. Not a healthy way to lose weight. But for the first time, food was just detestable to me. I suffered anxiety, uncontrollable waves of sadness, and an, an incredibly deep awareness of emotional pain. It was the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. The best way I can describe it to you is that a thick emotional fog rolled into my life, accompanied by the sincere belief that my life was really over. And so I began to entertain thoughts about the least painful way to kill myself. I, I had a plan in place, I put a plan together to do that. And I was contemplating what to write Laura in my suicide note. And compounding the problem, I didn't know what was happening to me. You see, 28 years ago, this kind of conversation in a church would never happen. And, and aren't you glad that, that we can talk about this stuff in church? And the church ought to lead the way with this. But I had no idea what was going on. Fortunately, I had an incredibly wise wife and friends 
and medical professionals who knew what was happening to me. Major depression had brought my world to a crashing halt. I want to take a couple of minutes this morning to unmask depression. I want to demystify it uh, as much as I can this morning in the next couple of minutes. Did you know that uh, this morning, 60 million people woke up in the United States suffering with major depression? 60 million. And I suspect there might be a couple of you here this morning, maybe more, who are part of that 60 million. 350 million worldwide. Now, th- that's an old stat. This is a, that's a pre-COVID stat, that worldwide one. We don't have good data yet. I'm sure it's much higher than that. So what causes it? Why does depression happen? Why does depression happen to somebody who loves the Lord? How is that possible? Let me give you some ideas. Well, being a Detroit Lions fan is rumored to be one cause. Yeah, the last year they won a championship was the year before I was born. Um, All joking aside, depression can be event-driven. It could crash on top of you when you suffer a major loss in your life, the loss of a loved one, Um, a divorce, loss of your health, loss of a job. It can be event-driven. It can be situational. Depression can also be incremental. It can develop and result from years of improper emotional behavior. My depression that I went through was, was incremental. It had been building for decades underneath the surface until some major crises happened in my life and then whammo, all of a sudden it felt like it came out of nowhere. Depression does not respond to the sheer force of our will. Recovery from depression is not a matter of willing your way out of it. You can't smile your way out of depression. You can't fake your way out of depression. You can't magically snap out of it. I remember asking God desperately, God, if you get me out of this pit, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I I was so desperate to feel happy again, to feel joy again. But I couldn't do it just by forcing my way through it. Here's what depression feels like. It feels like you've fallen into this black hole of sadness. Jesus in Gethsemane said these words. Listen to Jesus' words. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That is exactly what depression feels like. Jesus nailed it. You feel like you're dead even though you're still alive. Depression often hits when least expected. In 1992, the church that I was pastoring was enjoying the best year of our tenure. We had been there four years. We had more people give their lives to Jesus in 1992 than any year prior. More people get baptized in water uh, than any year prior. We had growth. We had to add another service to. We, we, we had record finances. Listen, we lived, I was married to this beautiful woman over here. We had four beautiful boys. We even lived in a house with a pool. Everything on the outside looked great, but internally, I was an emotional 
train wreck. And, and I need to say this. Uh, you might think, well, you know, John, you just needed to be closer to God. You know what? I can count on one hand the number of days I missed devotional time with, Lord, with the Lord in 46 years. No kidding. And, and Laura, am I exaggerating that? The Lord just has given me that, de- that delight, that desire to be in the word, to pray, to worship, to journal, to memorize scripture. And that was from the very outset. So it had nothing to do with me not being close enough to God. What it had to do is me being ignorant that there is this emotional component in my life, this mental component in my life that needs TLC, that needs tending to. And that just leads me to this, that depression can happen to anyone, even to people who love God. And if you don't believe that, if you don't believe my story, just read your Bible. You'll discover that King David, the prophets Jeremiah and Elijah, all men who we Jesus followers consider spiritual giants, suffered with depression. You know that I can stand in front of you this morning reasonably healthy is proof of God's ability to put us back together when our life's been broken into pieces. Romans 8.28 really is true. And we know that in all things God works for the good, the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Aren't you glad for that? I'd like to tell you that I got better in three weeks, but I'd be lying to you. Recovery from my emotional crisis from depression was a, a long, difficult, arduous process. But it started... It began with understanding the full impact of the greatest commandment, especially that third part, to love myself. I had to learn how to become my own best friend instead of my own worst critic. I went to my doctor. He put me on meds for a while. I went to a counselor. Boy, did that help, uh, seeing a, a counselor. I had to rekindle some friendships that I had neglected. You know, um, uh, in the last year, it's no surprise that depression's gone through the roof. We've been quarantined. We've been apart from each other. And we were not designed to live like that long term. But healing for me began with obeying the third part of the greatest commandment, to love myself. Remember, Your capacity to love your spouse, your kids, your neighbor, your workmates, your friends at school, even your enemies, is directly related to the degree you love yourself, to the degree you become your own best friend. Because if you don't like you, you're going to have a hard time liking other people the proper way. And Jesus brings us to that understanding. And I don't have time this morning to, to, uh, to, to talk about this, but there are three key choices that we lay on top of that love yourself foundation that build a structure that doesn't depression-proof our lives, but it minimizes our risk. I'll just give them to you here real quick. Here's the three choices. Protect, tell your anger where to go. I know that none of you in this room have ever struggled with that. 
but it's a very important part of your mental and emotional well-being. Secondly, protect yourself from abuse. Man, do we need to learn how to protect ourselves from people whose mission in life is to hurt us. And then thirdly, refuel emotionally. Fill your emotional tank. Listen, that's why we bring the books. I encourage you, pick up a copy of Unshakable You so that you can figure this out to understand those choices more fully. I devoted an entire chapter in the book to each one of those. So as we close up this morning, please hold still. I'm I'm done here in two minutes, and then I'm going to pray. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're thinking, I'm not experiencing any issues with depression or anxiety. Can I, can I just tell you two things that would, should be your response to that? First, be thankful to God for that, that you are in a good spot, that you're in a good place. But, but here's the second piece. Don't, uh, don't think that without attention, you're always going to be in a good spot or a good place. Educate yourself. It is easier to prevent depression and anxiety than it is to cure it, and it's a lot less expensive. So educate yourselves. But maybe you're here this morning and you are experiencing issues with anxiety and depression. Maybe even suicidal thoughts. I want you to know there's hope for you. Depression and anxiety are not the last chapter in your story. They are not a life sentence. Your journey toward health, if you're here and you're suffering this morning, your journey toward health starts with two simple next steps. Call your doctor and see him or her this week and and find a competent therapist, licensed counselor who will help you unpack the roots of your depression. Those are your next steps. Because I'm telling you, the most important thing you can do if you are truly depressed or filled with anxiety is to get stable. And seeing your doctor, seeing a counselor will help you move in that direction. I'm going to ask you this morning to close your eyes for just a minute. And I'd like all of you to do that as I pray. Every head bowed every eye closed, please. And I just wonder how many of you would just say, John, pray for me this morning. I'm suffering. I'm struggling. I came in this morning hurting. I'm not gonna call you forward. I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, shape, or form. I just wanna pray for you. How many of you would say, John, pray for me. I'm going through it. Can I just see a hand this morning? Just hold it up for a bit so I can scan and see, yeah, yeah. Don't be afraid. Thank you for putting your hands up. Anybody else? Yes, yes, thanks so much. I'm gonna pray for you, and then, uh, and then the worship team's gonna come and sing. So Lord, this morning, we invite you, Lord Jesus, to come and wrap your arms around every person who raised their hand this morning, Lord. Father, I pray that they would feel your presence. They would feel your love, your care, your acceptance. And God, that you would show them in your own unique way, Lord, that what they're experiencing right now 
although horrible and painful, is not the end of their story. And God, I pray that you would help them to know you're with them, that you love them. And God, I pray that you would put people in their lives who will allow them and give them permission to be in pain, who will love them and pray for them and encourage them, Lord. Jesus, I pray that you would write new stories in the lives of these that have raised their hands and some who needed to but didn't were afraid to. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would leverage the story of pain in their life and turn it into a redemptive story of healing in your power in a world that is depressed and anxious, God. Help them to get healed up. And I pray today would be a start in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen.